We're talking this evening about how to become the perfect child. I wanted to do a message that's focused a little bit more on the young people since we have a bulk of them in here this evening without the kids' choir. And what I thought to do is maybe what I should just do is just call out some names and just say, okay, stand right up that this child here, this child here, this child, that's the perfect child. Just do what they want. But if I did that, their parents would go, yeah, right. Okay, and so we'd probably create some confusion or some jealousy. So let me just stick with the passage. We're going to jump to Jeremiah 35 as we get started. Then we're going to go to Ephesians and talk about that aspect of what Scripture says as we are doing a series on facts for the facts of faith for the family. Tonight I just adjusted things so we're talking to kids this evening in this regard and basically kids of all ages, quite frankly, by the time we get done. In Jeremiah 35, if you remember the story, it is a phenomenal story in the middle of all this prophecy and what's happening to Israel. We read in Jeremiah 35, the beginning of it, we get a setting, we get a scene of what's going on that God is going to use as an illustration to the people of Israel. We read in verse 1, the word which came unto Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, go unto the house of the Rechabites and speak unto them and bring them into the house of the Lord into one of the inner chambers and give them wine to drink. And so the setting is very, very important. The timing of this, just to give you an idea, is important because it's happening somewhere in the life of Jehoiakim. He's one of the last kings of Israel. The Babylonians have already invaded. They have taken some of the Jews far away into a different region. And we're talking about the people now gathered in Jerusalem is the scene. In fact, there's people from all around the territory that are there. It's not just the normal people living in Jerusalem, but because the Babylons have in, Babylonians have invaded, even some of the people who lived on the outside have come into Jerusalem. They're there seeking shelter. And it's one of those groups that's a refugee family that has come into Jerusalem is the Rechabites. These are individuals who are seeking shelter because of the Babylonians raiding the land. And so God tells Jeremiah, I want you to have a special meeting with these people. And meet in one of those special rooms, one of those private rooms that are adjacent to the temple. If this were the temple, there was along the sides of the temple, there were rooms, apartments for some people who lived there at times, for the priests who would be in the rotation service or other uh, dignitaries that would have the rooms. And it goes on and describes that one of the rooms is one of the apartments for some of the dignitaries, and it gives you the names that I can't pronounce, but you can read them. And Jeremiah gathers these people in this room. And God has set up this meeting with the Rechabites because God wants to teach a big lesson. And he says, Jeremiah, all I want you to do is be a real host. When these people come in, offer them some wine, just like you would offer somebody who comes to your house something to drink. So he's offering them the wine. And the result is... Uh, that there's a conversation that this promotes, that this all of a sudden starts up with the Rechabites. Jeremiah offers it to them, and they refuse it. They don't take the wine. And it's not that they're inconsiderate. It's not that they're rude. It's not that they don't trust Jeremiah, but they go on, and here's the bulk of the story. They explain that the reason that they will not drink the wine is because of something that happened years ago. They, they talk about, basically, as the story unfolds, they talk about they were told by a great-great-great-granddad that they shouldn't drink wine. Follow along with what happens. They bring him into the chamber, and it says in verse 3, I took Jazaniah, uh, the son of Jeremiah, and the son of Habaziah, and his brethren, and all the sons in the whole house of the Rechabites, and I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chambers, and it gives you all those names of the people, a man of God, which is by the chamber of the princes, which is above, and he gives their apartments. And I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites pots full of wine and cups, and I said, drink the wine. 
They said, we will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, this is like great-great-great-grandfather, actually. He says, our father, he commanded us, as the passage goes on, saying that you shall drink no wine, neither you nor your sons, forever. And then he go, they go on and they explain. Now, to get the setting, their, their great-great-great-granddad, Jonadab, is an individual who lived several hundred years before. Roughly 300 years before, okay, is when he was around. And he was one that worked with Yehu. Remember our, pre, our stories of recent days? We've been talking about Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah, when he has that conversation with God at the cave, and there's the fire, the wind, the earthquake, that he says, what you need to go is go and anoint, anoint Hazael and Yehu, J-E-H-U, to be kings in the future. And we pointed out that in, uh, in years after that, after he anointed them, some 20 years later, those two were the ones that they rooted out the family of Ahab from, the, from Samaria, in that region up north. That they were the ones that overthrew Ahab's household, his, his descendants, and they are the ones that get rid of all of the worship of Baal. And so even though Elijah didn't resolve the Baal issue right away in his lifetime, he anointed these two men that were going to be kings that would eventually in time take and get Baal worship out of the area. Yehu's story is told in 2 Kings chapter 10. What he does is he comes into the city and he says, Hey, I want all of you Baal worshipers, all of you priests, I want you to meet with me in this one area and we're going to have a celebration. And when he gets them in this area, he is saying, is this all of your friends? And it says, yes, yes. And then he and another man go inside and they strongly um, uh, convince the priests of Baal that everything's okay, but it's all a plan to get them together and then wipe them out, to get rid of Baal worship. And so they've set this trap. The other man that works with Yehu is Jonadab. He's the hero that works with King Yehu to get rid of the Baal worshipers, the, the leaders of Baal worship. So back in Jewish history, some 250, 300 years be, uh, before Jeremiah 35, one of the heroes who, who helped get rid of Baal worship is Jonadab. Now these are his descendants talking to Jeremiah. And they said, Jonadab, our granddad, after that occasion, after he had, he had won uh, victories over Baal worship, he told us we're supposed to do something. And that something was real simple. That something was, you weren't supposed to drink wine. But that wasn't it alone. Look at the rest of the passage. He had told his grandchildren, his, his descendants, Verse 6, he commanded us, saying, You shall drink no, no wine, neither you nor your sons forever, neither shall you build a permanent house, nor sow seed, nor plant vineyards, nor have any, but all your days you shall be nomadic, you shall dwell in tents, that you may live many days in this land as it were strangers. They were probably the original Amish in that society. That they said, let's go back to that type of an idea, and we're going to live generation after generation in such a way that we aren't permanent dwellings. We aren't going to we aren't going to get caught up with putting roots down too deep. We're going to keep on. Our family's going to keep remembering we're only here temporarily by living within the tents. And so, what happened all those generations is these people have been following it. That they've been listening to their great granddad for almost three hundred years. They've been following the family tradition. That's an amazing thought when you, when you put that together, that here they were. It's not easy, it's not popular to, to say no to the wine because that was the common beverage. 
But it was the beverage that those who were totally dedicated to the Lord, like the Nazarites, would not drink. And said, we're not going to do that. It's not a popular thing to, to live in tents. It's not an easy thing, but we're going to do that. It was something that, even though this great ancestor has been off the scene, they still respected him so much they listened to what he said. He's not even around. He's dead. He's, he's dust by now. But they're still listening to him. And so here it is, even though God's word never said they could not build a house, God's word never said they can't plant crops, God's word never said they can't drink of that wine, they had taken that standard, they had applied, they had, they had said they were going to do that, and they were going to live by that standard, and they were living by it for these 250 to 300 years. Amazing. Amazing that they chose that, and they were following that. Well, it was such an impressive uh, conversation that God had directed Jeremiah to get, in, to get to know these people so that God could use these people as an illustration. God, Jeremiah is listening to this story, and God says, Hey, did you hear this? Did you hear how these people... And so God says, What I want you to do is... He goes on as we, as we uh, continue down. We read in verse 10, 11, We have dwelt in the tents. We have obeyed our great-grandfather. But it came to pass when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came into the land, we said, Let us go up to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans. And so now we dwell in Jerusalem because if all the other Jews are here, we'd be slaughtered. Thus saith the, then, the, then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, saying... Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of, of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction to hearken to my words, saith the Lord? The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, that he commanded his sons not to drink wine, they're performed. For unto this day they drink none, but obey their father's commandment. Notwithstanding, I have spoken unto you, rising early and speaking, but... Excuse me, but you hearken not unto me. I have sent also unto you all my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Return now every man from his evil way and amend your doings, and go not after the other gods to serve them. And you dwell in the land, he says, which I gave unto you and your fathers, but you have not inclined your ears nor hearkened unto me. Because the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have performed the commandment of their father, which he commanded them. But this people, you people, you don't hearken unto me. Therefore thus saith the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel. Behold, I will bring upon Judah and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the evil that I have pronounced against them. Because I have spoken unto them, but they have not heard. I have called unto them, but they have not answered. And Jeremiah said unto the house of the Rechabites, Thus saith the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Because you have obeyed the commandment of your father, and kept all his precepts, and done according to all that he hath commanded you, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not want a man to stand before me forever. So what he's basically going to do is he's going to use these guys as an illustration, and he says, I want to bless your, your family for generation after generation. Now, the lessons are real simple. The lesson is very apparent already right there in the text. The first lesson that we've got to draw out that is right there in that original text is simple. God used the Rechabites as an example and challenge to the Jewish people. He used them as an, as an object lesson. The, these people are obeying their father. You should obey me. And that's the message that he uses. He says, go and tell all Jerusalem. Use these people as an object lesson. Can I paraphrase what, God, what we just read God saying? Why can't you obey me, your heavenly Father? Why can't you obey me, obey me the way the Rechabites, they obey their imperfect earthly Father? He tells them to do something, and they do it. 
for generation after generation after generation. Let's build on that. They obeyed their earthly father when he spoke just one time. I have sent unto you prophets. They have come early. They have come often. And you still don't listen to me. Why can't you be like the Rechabites? Why can't you listen to me? When I plead with you, when I beg with you, when I send time and again, you hear messages and you still don't obey. The Rechabites only heard once from their great-grandfather. And some of them didn't even hear from him. They heard from passing down generation after generation and they obey. Let's, let's expand it. They obeyed their earthly father when he spoke of earthly things. Why can't you obey me when I speak of eternal things? They listened to him when he talked about sowing the land or building a house or drinking the wine. And I'm talking about dedication and service and giving your life to me. They listened to him. Why can't you listen to me? That's his message to the Jews. In fact, let's expand it one more phrase. The Rechabites obeyed their earthly father when he spoke 300 years ago. He's not even around, but he spoke 300 years ago. And they're still listening to him. I, your heavenly father, am speaking to you right now. That was Jeremiah's ministry. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, has now in these last 34 chapters been preaching to the people and they just don't listen to him. And he's the current prophet of God. So God uses this family, the Rechabites, as an object lesson to say, you are supposed to be listening. The way that these people obey their earthly ancestor, you should be obeying me. So it's a classic illustration of obedience, of respect that people should have. Now, the second lesson is real clear. The second lesson is God commends and rewards obedience and respect shown to parents. That's the second lesson. That lesson, this application is brought out in many different passages, especially what's brought out in the New Testament. Now, I already read, he said that because you have obeyed your grandfather great-grandfather. There, you will never want for a man to stand before me. There's two different ways or several different ways of interpreting that, that last verse in the chapter, that, that uh, you won't lack somebody to stand before me. Is he saying that you, I'm going to put one of you inside of a, the worship center and one of you is your family uh, lineage is going to be living here? Some suggest that. Others suggest that the idea is that you as a clan will never be wiped out. You as a clan, there's always going to be somebody passing on the heritage. Somebody's going to keep the family name going. That seems to make more sense in my mind. That he's saying that you won't be one of those that when there's going to be Holocaust, which they faced a Holocaust shortly hereafter by the Babylonians, remember. Some of them flee to Egypt. Some are taken as hostages to Babylon. But they survive as a tribe, as a clan. And that seems to make sense that he's saying that I'm going to prosper you as a household. And so he promises to bless them. This same idea of blessing those who would be respectful to parents is found in Ephesians and the book of Colossians. Join me for the next few minutes. We're going to Ephesians, a passage that you're very familiar with, Ephesians chapter 6. Okay, Ephesians chapter 6. Now, we talked a little bit about chapter 5 the last week, especially that aspect about leaving father and mother. But let's jump down to Ephesians chapter 6. That one text that all we parents want our kids to learn first. Ephesians chapter 6, down in verse 1. It says in Ephesians 6, verse 1, Children, do what to your parents? Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, that you may live long on the earth. And you jump over to Colossians, the twin passage. Colossians chapter 3, 
And we read in verse 20, after he's talked to the wives in verse 18, talked to the husbands in verse 19, in verse 20 he talks to the kids. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. And then he goes and has a conversation with the fathers. Before we go any further, okay, let me, let me make an observation here. He's going to say to the kids that they need to be respecting their parents. They need to be respecting, the illustration is respecting a great, great ancestor. Before we go any further, let's just, let's just make a, a quick application. Why is it that generation after generation, they listen to Jonadab? Why do you think that is? Any idea? They respected him. It's not real profound. He had lived in such a way and done things that they would admire and respect now, we, we'll talk about this in this series for parents. We need to talk about this. You and I cannot demand respect just because we have a position of authority in the home. Respect is not demanded. It is earned. Okay? And it's very important. John and Dab earned the respect of generations by his zeal and consistent testimony before the Lord. Now, that's another message. But let's, before we delve, delve deeply into Ephesians 6, let's make another couple observations. In Ephesians 6, in Colossians chapter 3, it starts off, and I believe it's in the English, very, very clear. You have in Ephesians 6, 1, which is going to be our main passage here from here on out, children are addressed, and then there's a comma. In our English, that indicates that God is talking directly to who? The children. That he's addressing these verses to them. He's not addressing it to us parents, he's addressing the children. Which indicates something, some things to me. One, children are important to the Lord. That he even in his words writes verses, writes paragraphs to the young people. That he says they are an important element within the local church. They should not be ignored. They should not be looked down upon. God himself speaks to the kids in this passage. That's an important thought. That God cares for these kids. God is really concerned about their conduct. God, God, children's conduct is important to God. How they relate to their parents is really important that he talks about it. He, he makes it an issue. Kids, you need to obey. You need to respect, respect your parents. He addresses them because they're important. And he gives them important conduct. Let's make another observation. You have God-given duties to follow. Young people have God-given duties. There are two commands given in chapter uh, 6 of Ephesians and one command given in Colossians, and this, they overlap. But the commands are real simple. They're not the only things that you're supposed to do, but talking to the young people, he says, I'm going to give you two commands, two things that you need to work on. And if you work on these, they will take enough of your childhood to focus on that you'll be busy with these, these all the time. They are real simple. Children, obey your parents. Now, both Colossians and Ephesians give this singular command. You need to obey your parents. Then in Ephesians, he builds upon, he says, you need to honor your parents. Not just do what they say, but you need to have the right attitude. Let's dissect the word. The word literally means to hear under. 
That's the word obey. It has the idea that you are listening as if they are the authority over you. It is the idea that the parent is talking, giving direction, and you're going to do what they tell you to do. That's the word obey. It's the same word that is used elsewhere that we're supposed to obey Jesus Christ. We're supposed to obey the authorities over us. We're supposed to obey within the, within the confines of the local church or our government setting in society. And so it's not just this is the only word ever used just for kids to their parents, but it's the idea of having obedience to an authority over you, listening to what they say, doing what they say. Then he uses the word respect, tomato. It has the idea that you value someone that you consider this is something very, very important. Some of you tamao your cell phones. They're an important item. You, they're, they're good for your communication. They help you out. You get a lot of information, and you, you're very careful with it. You, wanna, you don't want to lose it. You don't want to just ignore it and just let it gather dust. Uh, so you have different items. Some of you have heirlooms in your house. That was passed down. You tamao it. You take care of it. It is something very important. Some of you, your first car, you tamao it. You highly value it. Nobody else has great value for that car, but you do because it's something important to you. And so the word is, the idea isn't, okay, you're only looking and placing something that has tremendous value monetarily because of everybody around you. No, to you it is important. He says that's the way you're supposed to feel about your parents. You're supposed to look and say, my parents are really, really important. They are valuable to me. And I'm supposed to treat them as a valuable commodity or gift from God. Now you put those two things together and you look at the commands and here's what we've got. We've got this passage talking, I'm going to call it a universal command. That is, it isn't given to just a certain element of young people. He uses the word techna. That the word children literally means those who are a biological offspring. And the idea is that they are still under their parents' provisions. They're under their parents' roof. They are, they are listening to them. They're being taken care of by the parents. They're dependent upon them. Now, however you want to flesh this out. Okay, some of you will say, yeah, but when I turn 18, it stops. I don't know how it flushes out in everybody's home. But it's the idea that you are not at the point that you have reached maturity and you are totally independent. The techna is the idea that somebody who is still dependent upon being provided for, and so he doesn't ever use this with only a certain age in Scripture. At times, and most of the time, we're talking about kids who are in the who are techna. Most of the references are little kids or people in uh, in grade school, elementary age, or young teens, middle teens. And then in their society, a lot of you would have been married by 16, 17 years old. You would have been on your own. But it's also used of young people in the sense that like Samson was a techna who was when he was still living at his parents house so the age isn't the important the idea it's that are who are you dependent upon and so you look and say okay you as a young person where are you how old are you you're in fifth grade that means you're a techna okay you're 15 you're still living at home you're a techna Okay, you, you fall into this category, and you are who he's talking to. He doesn't consider, okay, okay, just the, man, the guys or just the gals, or those who are really smart or those who aren't so smart, or those who are tall. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do, are you, who are still under your parents' roof, you are a techna. And he is saying to you that you're supposed to universally, all of you, are supposed to be listening to your parents. You're supposed to be respecting your parents. So let's add to it, unconditionally. What I mean by that is there, is there is, as this passage says, in all things. 
That would include commands they give you. That would include chores they give you. That would include standards that they have set up for your home. That they say, okay, this program you can watch, this program you can't. That would include what kind of music that your parents have said can come into the home. What kind of entertainment. What kind of programs can you watch, can't you watch. You're supposed to obey and respect your parents in those areas. When it comes to a curfew, they say you need to be home by this time. You're supposed to obey and respect your parents. You're a techna. You're supposed to obey them and respect them in all things. But let's, let's add to this, okay? In the Lord. In the Lord. So if the parent is asking you to do something sinful, which would not be the case for most all of you here, but it's the idea that as long as they're asking me to do something proper before the Lord that's not violating Scripture, I am supposed to be listening to them. So God gives a command to all the techna, Okay, this is a universal command. Doesn't matter what culture, doesn't matter what age, it doesn't matter what your education, you're a techno, you're supposed to listen. And it's supposed to be unconditional in all areas that apply to you living within their home. Let's add something else to it. It's to be unending. What he does is he says, obey, and the verb that is used here, the imperative verb, has the idea you obey over and over and over and over. So it's not just obey on Mother's Day, obey on Father's Day. Obey when you want to get something. Obey when, when, they're, when they've got some stuff that, that you know, they're saying, well, if you obey, then we'll go to Disney World type thing. Okay? It's not that. It's you're to be having this attitude of obedience and respect. It's supposed to mark your life. You're supposed to be living in such a way that this is your characteristic. This is your reputation amongst your friends. That you are one who listens to your parents. That you have a good relationship to them. That you, that your friends know that you respect your parents. That even when your parents aren't around, you're going to do what they say. That when, you're, when, you're, when others are busting on their parents, you aren't doing the busting on the parents. Because you have this type of an attitude that you respect your mom and dad, that you are listening to them on a regular, ongoing basis. Let's add something else to it. It's unbiased. What I mean by unbiased, it says, obey and respect your parents. Not just your mom, because your mom, you can, you can maneuver and you can get things out of her. Not just your dad, because you know, he's the one that you get along best. You're supposed to respect and obey your parents, plural. Both of them. Not just one. Not just the, you know, the, 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 your favorite parent. You're supposed to be respecting both of them. You're not supposed to talk down one or the other. You're not supposed to disobey one or the other. You're supposed to have an attitude of obedience. So, we start asking ourselves a few questions. Okay? The questions to the techna. Have you done the chores your parents have told you to do of late? When they tell you this is what you're supposed to do, we're leaving, we're going to go, these are your chores. Do you do what you are told to do? Let's add it to it. Do you keep the rules when they're not around? When they say, here's, here's you know, you're supposed to have this type of an attire. You're supposed to, you know, wear, wear this or not wear certain clothing. They're not around. Do you still obey them and respect them enough that you do what they said when they aren't around? Let's add to it. Are you watching programs your parents said not to? Well, they're out of the room so I can turn this on. Do you realize what that is? Disobedience to your parents' lack of respect is called sin. It is sin before God. You're sinning against mom and dad and against God Almighty. You're disobeying God's commands. And so when we go on, we can say, okay, are you hiding something from your parents? Something you don't want them to know where you've been or what you're doing or what you're watching or what you're listening to. 
Dual clothes you wear. Parents have certain standards. They set them up. Do you listen to them with respect? We can go on. Do you go places where your parents say to stay out of? Say, yeah, but, you know, my parents won't know. Well, then you're disobeying. Then you're disrespecting them. You know, we could just keep on going. And we could talk about respect. Do you sass your parents? Do you, when they tell you something, do you belittle them? Do you roll your eyes at them? That's a form of disrespect. That idea of, you know, oh, you always in an accusation. That's disrespect. That's wrong. That's sin. Okay? Have you torn down your parents to your friends, to your siblings? Do you talk them down? Do you criticize them? Do you call them derogatory terms? The old lady, the old man. You know, and you make fun of them. That is a violation of honoring your parents. We could go a little bit further. Have you refused to do what you've been told? Just say, no. No, I'm not going to listen to you. That's sin. If they're commanding you to do something in the Lord, you're supposed to obey in all things. We can go on and ask some more. Have you said something that you would listen to them, that you would do what they told you to do, and then you never carry it out? And you just think, okay, I just won't listen to them because they'll forget about it. You know, we, had, we had a situation where I created a disobedience in one of the grandkids two Sundays ago. And some of you were here in the foyer. You saw it happened. I didn't realize what I was doing. And um, it was, I know what it was, I remember. Um, it was the beginning of September. I had gone to the birthday box, and I got out this, one of these goofy little um, boomerangs that I could throw at Tony. And so I, I got this thing, and we decided to play with it a couple times after church, just throw it down the hallway here or in the foyer over there when it was pretty much cleared out. And so it was a game that I was playing with the grandkids. And um, I didn't realize, but while I was out of the foyer area, one of them, the younger one, the girl, had gotten in where she wasn't sharing it with her brother. And she was told, you just leave it go. You're not supposed to play with it. Okay, you just let him have it for right now. Well, I come along and I say, hey, you want to go through the, throw the boomerang down in the family center? Nobody's down there. We'll just go down there and we'll throw the boomerang around. So the two of them and me, we went down to the family center and we started throwing the boomerang. And I said to Eden, I said, Eden, here, you can pick this up and you can throw it. And she just stood there and looked at me. And I was thinking, well, it must be Preston has threatened her and told her she shouldn't do it. So I said, honey, it's okay. You can throw it. And I picked it up and I handed it to her and she kind of went. And I said, oh, it's okay. You can throw it. You can, I'll show you how to throw it. I was thinking she's just intimidated by throwing, not sure what to do. So I grabbed her hand. I put her hand in it. Her eyes got real big. Okay. And I said, here's how you do it. And I threw it with her. I said, go get it, and, and we'll throw it again. She ran over, and now she's all happy. The big, you know, deer in the headlight eyes are gone. This is fun now. She comes back, and she throws it. And at that time, I don't know where Preston was, but all of a sudden he turned around, he saw her throwing it, and he said, Eden, you're not supposed to touch that thing. Mom told you that. And she looked up at me. Her eyes got the deer in the headlight again. And she looks at me, and she's like, Yo, and I said, honey, did mommy and daddy tell you not to play with this? I said, well, what is that, honey? <laughs> she went ripping out of the family center. She came into the foyer, and she's bawling and sobbing, and several of you were laughing at her, okay? Because Christina was trying to figure out what is she saying, and it was, I disobeyed you. I disobeyed you. Yeah, okay, what was it? And it was my fault. I created the scenario for her and got her to disobey her parents. So I told them they should spank me. <laughs> they didn't, okay. But 
what I appreciated about her spirit at that one moment, and this is not because she's normally like this, okay, but I appreciated that she was sensitive as a four-year-old that her parents had told her something, and she didn't know how to tell me no, but she was still very sensitive that her parents had told her something. I hope that part lasts, that she maintains that, because that's the way young people are supposed to be, so that it bothers them when they do something that would violate their parents' rules. Now, the, the problem is what grandparents can do to cause the problems. Amen, amen. Okay. But be that as it may, she had the right attitude. Okay. The, uh, does it bother you when you disobey or lie to your parents? That's respect. That's a matter of whether you have biblical respect. Let, let's even, with respect, can I expand it for a second? Have you told your parents lately that you appreciate them? That's a form of respect. Honoring them is to say, you are valuable to me. I do appreciate. When's the last time you told mom and dad thanks? When's the last time that you said, I really appreciate what you have done for me? When's the last time you just, you just said to them, I really love you and thank you for this or thank you for that? Thank you for making rules. Thank you for providing for me. Thank you for teaching me about the Lord. You know, there's times that we just take for granted other people. And he's telling the young people at an early age, learn to be respectful by being people of gratitude. Oh, if we would just teach our kids to have that type of gratitude. Oh, if we would just portray that before them on a regular basis. So they would have that attitude. There's a story that's told about a young boy in Florida. I couldn't verify if this is true or it's an urban legend. But the story is good that it talks about a little boy whose family lives back by a, one of these back rivers there in Florida. And uh, the little boy was, had finished his chores. He decided to go out swimming and just yelled out the door to mom. He says, I'm going out for a swim. And he jumped into the river out back and he's doing a little bit of swimming. And when mom got to the window to see if he was doing okay, she saw something go in the water from the other side of the river or that little lake area. And she could see the tail the last thing that went in the water. She knew what was in the water. There was an alligator, and she watched that gator started, popped its head up and started coming towards her son as her son is going out into this river lake area. And so she ran out, she's screaming at the top of her voice to her little boy, turn around, come back, come back, come back. He hears her, realizes, and he's coming back. That gator's coming closer to him as he is paddling for all he's worth. He gets to shore right about the time that the gator gets to him, and just when he's trying to get up, all of a sudden the gator grabs his back, uh, his legs. And his mom grabs his arms, and they go into a tug of war. That beast trying to get the child for food, that mom trying to spare her child. And the story goes that she is screaming and she is yelling and all of a sudden some farmer drives by and he hears the commotion and he happens to have a rifle within his vehicle. He comes out, he plugs the gator and she gets the boy away, but the boy has a lot of, a lot of damage. They take the boy to the hospital. He has a couple different surgeries. He ends up being interviewed by the local uh, TV station. And as they're interviewing him, the little boy's talking about he's traumatized and talking about how the gator and the lady said, you know, how do your legs look? You know, do you have a lot of scars? And he was very embarrassed and very shy about showing her the scars and the bandages because that was something he was traumatized by. And she said, oh, those are a lot of scars. And then he said, but you want to see the scars I like? And the newspaper reporter said, what do you mean the scars you like? And he pulled up his sleeves. When his mom was tugging, her nails dug in a little bit as she was pulling on his arms. And she was tugging and her nails left, left you know, some scars in her arm. And he says, these are my mom's scars because she cares for me. 
He was very proud of those. You know, our parents may have gone through a lot of battles for us. Do we say thank you to them? And are we proud of the efforts our parents make? That's what he's talking about in this text. Okay? He says we're supposed to obey, and he gives reasons why. Let me, let me wind this down with this. He says, okay, obey your parents because it's commanded by God. This is God speaking to you kids. This is God speaking to you teens. This is God speaking to you young people. You are so important to him that he talks to you in this text, and he gives you some commands. So it's commanded by God. And the passage says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. That right is often debated within theological circles. Right as in this is the proper thing. Well, that's an obvious. Right as in is this righteous? Is this holiness? Well, both of them are true. This is right. This is the proper way to live. This is, this is doing right before the Lord. In other words, let's rephrase this. Disobeying your parents is sin against God. It is violating God's command. It is doing that which isn't right. Disobeying one's parents reflects an ungodly spirit within you. Do you realize that in when, when he is talking about the sinfulness of society, Romans chapter 1, he talks at length in starting with verse 15 and following. He puts that this is the characteristic of a sinful society. They have reprobate minds. They're haters of God. They're proud. They're boasters, inventors of evil things. And in the midst of this, he adds their disobedient parents as one of what God considers a really tragic sin, a great sin. In fact, in 2 Timothy 3, talking about the latter days, that it will become worse and worse. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. So you have this form of godliness. Come here, know the verses, say the stuff in Calvary Clubs or TNT, get the points, all that. But are you obeying and respecting your parents? You can have the outward form, but you're not right with God, you're not right with your parents if you're not obeying and you're not respecting them. Let me give you a third reason. It'll please the Lord. Colossians 3, children obey your parents in all things. This is well-pleasing to the Lord. We'll give you another one because it's rewarded. He says in Ephesians chapter 6, as he winds down the passage, he says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Then he gives the promise that it may be well with you, that you may live long on the earth. The first commandment with promise involves two things. That it may be well with you as spiritual blessings, emotional blessings, inner blessings. That you may live long, physical blessings. That is, that you won't live and get involved in a lifestyle that could shorten your lifetime. Very clearly, God says this is a command for techna. This is a command for young people. Okay? So here's the questions I want to just wrap, wrap up with. Do you, go to need, do you need to go to your parents tonight? Do you need to talk to your parents and say... I've been lying to you. I have not been listening to you. I have been doing things behind your back. You need to ask them forgiveness. You need to confess that to them. You need to ask them to forgive you. Have you been speaking poorly about your parents lately? You need to ask them for your forgiveness. You need to change the way that you've been talking about them or to them. If you've been sassing them, if you've been, if you've been short with them, if you've been cranky towards them, that's not respectful. Do you need to tell your parents, you know, what, all that in the sense that you want to go to them and tell them thank you. This would be a great night to get to talk to your parents this evening and say thank you, Mom and Dad. I appreciate you and be more respectful of them. Can I wrap up with just this thought? What about those of us who are no longer dependent upon our parents? 
What are we to do to be the perfect child? Right within the same passage, let's back up a chapter or two. Let's look at something we're to do. Very simple. We talked about this last week in Genesis chapter 2. We pointed it out from Genesis chapter 5 where it talks about husbands and wives. It says in verse uh, 31, 531, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined to him and his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That is very clear to be the perfect adult child. We are supposed to remember our first obligation is not to our parents but to our mates. We're not supposed to ignore our parents, but we are supposed to be establishing our own home. In other words, we're not to be a burden to our parents. We're not supposed to be assuming or presuming upon our parents. We're supposed to be, as a family unit, doing what we're supposed to be doing and taking care of our family, not saying, Mom and Dad, you take care of you know, the rest of us for the rest of time. You're to be big men, big ladies that say we are going to take care of our own family and have an independent unit and we're not going to mooch off mom and dad. Okay, that's an important biblical truth. Let's add something to it. If you back up into the book of Ephesians and we read, let's go down to about verse chapter 4, down to about verse 29. Stop letting corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace. Stop grieving the Holy Spirit, verse 30 of chapter 4, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Be ye therefore followers of God and dear children. What that says to me is this. As an adult child, I am supposed to love my parents. In other words, I still need to speak respectfully of them. If they made mistakes, ha, ha, ha. When the parents make mistakes, right? We all do. Don't hold the grudge. Don't be bitter at the parents forever and ever. Let it go. Forgive them and move on. Learn from their mistakes and don't repeat them. But don't hold bitterness towards your parents. Move on. Move forward. Be considerate. Be caring. And then 1 Timothy chapter 5 is the passage that says, If you have a family member that has needs and you provide not for those of your own household, and it's talking about elderly relatives. If you don't provide for those of your own household, you are worse than an infidel. And so you're supposed to be taking care. For that to happen, you have to be in communication with your adult parents. That means you have to help them as they grow older. That means you're supposed to be providing and helping and assisting them. And it is so difficult. Some of you are in that situation. Some of you are at both different levels. It is difficult where you become more of the parent now in helping them in their senior years. But this is your biblical responsibility. How to become the perfect child? It takes a lifetime to continue working at it. But more importantly than that relationship towards your parents in any way, shape, or form, let's stop and let's go back to the beginning of the message. What is our relationship to Jesus Christ, God Almighty? Are we like the Rechabites that he said, we, these people are commended because they obeyed their, what they were told. Do you obey the Father's commands? This is a good week to work on it. This is the time to say, God help me. Help me this week to be more forgiving. Help me this week to be more gracious. Help me this week to be able to live at peace with other people. Help me this week. God help me as a techna, as a young person, to do right before my parents and before God Almighty.